Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Startup Nightmares. Startup Nightmares is a podcast that aims to inspire those who work in the startup world to do the best work they can the best way possible while dodging some bullets doing so. Let's just be a bit more human here. All of these people started needing stuff from me. Don't feel like you're on your own because you're, you're never on your own. But I'm paying this person a good wage. Why isn't that enough? And that doesn't make me special. What makes me special is my deeper story. People need a sense of purpose to feel motivated in their job. Wake up at five in the morning and like go to the gym for an hour. Like, what the fuck is that? You're sitting at your desk crying and you're like, what happened? I had no idea how to monetize anything. I was like, ah, everybody gets a title. You get a title. You get a title. Either pay me or I will sue you. All of our guests have been to the dark side of the innovation ecosystem and came back to tell their tale. You can use this. This is how you get there. It is not a secret anymore. My name is Tal Shmueli, and I will be your host. Dov Moran, welcome to the show. Pleasure. Thank you for coming. We know it's a big ask. We asked for two hours out of your day, and there's a big operation. You got two hours? <laughs> two, two hours? Really? Well, well, I asked for two hours. How, how long is, is it going to be? How long is it going to be then? Half, 30 minutes? 45 minutes, 50 minutes for the recorded Guys, episode. 45 minutes. Do you get 45 minutes? Yeah. <laughs> okay, of what okay. negotiated for two hours to 75 minutes with parking and coffee. Okay. <laughs> so you got a pretty good deal. Uh, the coffee is good. Thank you, guys. The coffee is good. Yeah. There you go. Um, we have a lot of ground to cover, and I want to I wanna get started. First of all, a trick question. You invented the discount key, the USB. USB flash drive. The yeah. USB no flash drive. No one in the world knows, except Israel, knows what is discount key. It's our internal name. We sold this product in Israel. By the way, I'm the, the guy to blame for not having a single consistent name for this product. I'll tell you the story if you want to hear. I do. So the, the days we, we invented the product. The product was invented actually uh, back in the 19... Uh, Button was written actually in 1998. The, the product was developed throughout uh, 2000. We bought, bring, bought it to the market. It was called Condex. Uh, it's a show, big show, like CS Today, or what used to be CS Today, uh, at the uh, end of 2000. And in a very short time, we understood that our chances to go and sell it directly to the end users is very, very low. So we adopted a policy of uh, selling 
through other companies with their name, not with our name. We define it as the brand behind the brand names. And our internal name for the product was Discount Key. Why yeah. Discount Key? We had another product called Discount Chip. So if we had Discount Chip, Discount Key, so maybe it will be Discount Sim or whatever. We began to sell and we were selling to IBM. And as soon as time it was IBM, Dell, HP, Memorex, Verbatim, IODATA, Kingston. I would, All the blue chip companies. Everybody, yeah, everybody. Now, the funny story, you when you went to the product at one of the consumer stores, uh, like Best Buy, you went to Best Buy, at Best Buy of Ice, there was a shelf with all this product. So you had to choose, you went to choose from Sony, Kingston, Memorex, and Dell. All of them were ours. <laughs> now there's a problem. How do you create differentiation? One way was another look. And yeah, we had a very, very good uh, department that did different plastics and stuff customizing like that. the product customization packaging uh of course they try all of them try to go to high capacity but we said no no guys you go with the lower one you go with the higher one uh kingston always was a target you know hmm, very professional and the other way to this differentiate is by name so every company gave it a different name i'm the one to blame okay i, I think you blame that's why Hey, can I blame you for another thing with the USB? So many things. Okay. So, One so, thing you cannot blame me. There is a joke about me yeah, in the internet. Running was running in the internet for, and I, I got it maybe 100 times in my life. So it says when Dr. One is going to die, they're going to try to put him into the, into the grave. So they have to put him once, won't enter. They turn him, won't enter. Last, <laughs> next time, I know the joke. Don't repeat uh, it, guys, anymore. Anybody who listens, don't send me this joke anymore. I'm not the one to blame for that because... This is something defined by a committee called USB Committee, established by IEEE. USB Committee? USB Committee. It was a, a subcommittee of IEEE. IEEE is a very known committee for electronic. It defines many standards, communication standards, HDMI, if you heard about that, there's a connector for the TV, uh, and stuff like that. And they actually developed, a stand, defined a standard that came to replace a very popular uh, connector that was at all the computers until these days, called RS-232. RS, is this the one with the little thingies? Yeah, yeah, the little... Uh, the yeah, little thingies. Pins. The pins. pins. Yeah, the two, it's large, clumsy, you know. It has the little bolts on the side where you had to connect. That's exactly the one. Yeah, which, you know, was you know good for the maybe 80s uh, when, when the PC was invented. But I was very lucky because if, if they would see the whole picture, they could say that this will be good for connecting mouse, and keyboard, and other stuff, and memory. But none of them thought about memory. I'm very fortunate. These were guys from HP, IBM, Motorola, Intel, uh, was one of the big pushers of this new standard. And they, the thinking was replacing the RS-232. Now, when you replace RS-232, you plug things once. You don't really... Plug in and out. The biggest pain, if you have to take your computer to the lab, you had to like go behind and unplug it. That's and right, all yeah, of that. it was a big, big mess. So, but they said, yeah, yeah but usually people connect something, the, the mouse. They don't disconnect and connect every day. And remember, this, 90, this was the data in 1996 or seven. So they, they really uh, thought about replacing this connector. And for them, if you connect it once, if you try this way, try this way, doesn't matter because it's weapons. That's right, yeah. Got it. The, the point is that, so I'm not to be blamed for that. <laughs> I didn't invent the USB. I just invented the 
concept of plugging the memory into this tool. That's all. Did you realize it's a, it's a life-changing invention when you came up with it? Yeah, the, but I tell you the truth, in many, many occasions, I thought, hey, I have this amazing idea, I'll, I'll come with it, everybody will buy it. And many times, most of the times, I was wrong. At this time, I was, yeah, it really worked. I didn't see the magnitude, I didn't see that it's going to be manufactured. A new standard? In, in, in a, it's tens of billions of units. It's that, funny, uh, we, had a, we had an investor coming in earlier today and we spoke about markets and how sometimes... And, uh, not the first one is today. <laughs> <laughs> we started eight. Wow. And we talked about how sometimes entrepreneurs overestimate the market and they come in and like, okay, who, who, is the, who is the potential buyers? Everyone. Yeah. You know? <laughs> All the Chinese. Every Chinese will buy it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So 99.99% of people who would come in saying everyone will be wrong, but you got it right. <laughs> yeah. Another thing is, when speaking to entrepreneurs and founders, everyone keeps saying, stay away from hardware. Hardware is probably the oh, quickest way to yeah. lose money, to get out of business. I tell you what, many of the entrepreneurs are, uh, are not engineers. And for them, really, going to hardware is a pain. But if you look at the great success stories of Israel, let's count them. Biggest one, Mobileye. $26 billion acquisition by Intel. No, 15. Just 15. 15. What's 26? Yeah, you added, you added some billions okay. here. No? <laughs> it doesn't matter. But still very, very nice. You know, 50 billion dollars, you take 10% of that as well. Hardware, not hardware, semiconductor. Uh, very complicated stuff. Uh, chips that are, they, actually, it's, it's, a, it's, a whole, it's a full system. They even bother to develop their own chip, which is one of the reasons that Intel acquired it. They have an, a chip that has the ability to do all the calculations required and in the future. Artificial intelligence, that's a very, very hardware product. Okay, second one, Mellanox. Mellanox, recent, a recent acquired. That's right, about $8 billion. What are they doing? What are they doing? Communication, hardware communication, chips for communications. Again, semiconductor. Very, very difficult, very hard core semiconductor. Really? It's not a sexy consumer product. You know, you don't even see the product. I agree, but still, it's hardware. And of course, M-Systems was hardware as well. It's, by the way, it's never just hardware. It's hardware and a lot of software around it. But if you look in generally at the large and at the huge success stories, you can define it into two kinds. One is the you know, Airbnb, Facebook. This is great software product applications that actually uh, succeed to point to a market need and get it viral, get it large, and, and actually create a huge success, usually those kind of things are not coming from Israel. The other stuff is some, somebody who really get deeper, way deeper into a subject and became the best in his area and maybe brought ideas, new ideas to this area that really made a change. So again, you know, mobilize. I, I, the guys of Mobileye define me as their mentor, which is a very, very big... Uh, I don't have the guts to claim such a claim. It's very flattering to me to be considered as the mentor of these guys. They are amazing guys. They created something really amazing, really great. Life-saving technology. It's yeah. simple as that. But, you know, this is out of really being... Understanding very, very well what can be done, how it can be done, What's the hardness? What's the problems? And working very hard over many, many years to overcome these these hurdles. 
But why do you say it? Because you, you say know how to. Yes. No. If you are not, if you are not, if you don't have the skills, if you don't have, it's not the skills, the, the knowledge. It's practically knowledge. If you knowledge is shallow, don't go there. Of course, you will fail. Yeah. But if you really want to create something great, that's what I'm saying to many, many young people. Choose a subject. Study really deep. Whether this is biology, and specifically in biology, or chemistry, which is very interesting by, by itself, or AI, or, or hard, semiconductor. But we're in a country that sometimes cherishes and celebrates superficiality in a, in a constructive way, as in being generalist. getting it done, just getting to the next stage, a lot of survival mode. How do you balance the need for profound and, and deep thought and thoroughness with our sometimes, you know, survivalistic need of being able to put a lot of fingers in a lot of holes? You know, many times it, it used to be in the past. It's zero now and it's much less than the last years. But many, a few years ago, like five, ten years ago, we were flooded by... Groups that came out to is came to Israel out of many many countries uh, Taiwan China lots from China of course uh, France by the way that came here to understand what's behind the Israeli entrepreneurship and how do we do it how did we become the startup nation so you know they came to me and you see group guys waiting to hear what's the secret we want to copy and say guys I have a message and it's not a good message you can't copy it It's on the DNA. It's, it's us. So I do have explanation, which some people like to hear and some people hate to hear. Depends on which side you are. I said, we are Jews. And actually, entrepreneurship is not an Israeli feature. It is a Jewish feature. And by the way, you look, go to Australia. Five out of the ten richest guys in Australia are Jews. And in the population, the percentage is very low. You go to America, you go to Silicon Valley, the number of Jews that are actually running companies in Silicon Valley is amazing. Now, pay attention, we are not smarter. We are just more entrepreneurs. And why are we more entrepreneurs? Because the Jewish nation, over the last 2,000 years, went through very tough conditions. We didn't have land. Everybody, majority of the others, they have the lands, they have their place. They were born in a very friendly environment, you know, like family around, villages, whatever. We had to move from one country to the other one. We were pushed out every time we settled in a place. Uh, we were not allowed to hold the land. We, were, we could not work in many countries for the government or for the king. And this is, not a, this is not times like now that everybody finds a job. If you didn't have a job, you would die. So you had to be... very entrepreneurship in order to survive. And the ones who were not entrepreneurs over these 2,000 years, what happened to them? They vanished. So Jews today is uh, something that is, came out of many generations where only the entrepreneurs survived. And entrepreneurship is something in your blood. It's not something good or bad. It's a feature. It is something. very deeply in your DNA. You, can't, you don't take it out. You can't take it out. No, we were speaking about uh, 2,000 years ago, and some people could think this is ancient history. What no, no, I'm talking about throughout all these 2,000 years. You know. I'll tell you maybe the most amazing story about my grandfather. My grandfather was a real entrepreneur. But he was an amazing entrepreneur, 
even at today's conditions or today's scale or dynamics. Today's scale. Anyway, the war arrived. Hitler invaded into Poland. My grandfather, the entrepreneurs, said, hey, this Hitler is bad. We have to run away. We have to move out of here. Doesn't matter where, what, but we give up. We give up what we have, but we go out. He went to Russia. I do remember a story he told me, told me, or my father told me, that uh, he actually, he had a friends, you know, he lived in a very relatively small town called uh, Kostom. So he, he, he looked, he talked with his friends. He said, guys, we have to leave. We have to run away. They were less entrepreneur, uh, less entrepreneurs. I mean, they, they didn't have the entrepreneur spirit that he had. And they said, no, no way. One of them said, no, we just bought new furniture. So if we go away, the neighbors, the, the non-Jewish neighbors will come and take everything we have. We can't leave it. What happened to all of them? They all died. He was entrepreneur. He was facing a change. He, he said, okay, you know, money is not the issue. I'll give up what I have. Let's run away to Russia. He went, he went to Russia with my father. He survived. My father survived. That's the reason I'm sitting here in this city talking about entrepreneurship. So it, it's deeply personal. It's not a history lesson. It's your life story. But when you started M Systems, it was 1989? Yep. 1989. So that's 30 years ago. How was the Israeli entrepreneurial landscape different than to what it is now? There wasn't uh, any, any land. Any, <laughs> this, this was nothing. I see that in this year when I established my company, I would be very surprised to know that there were 10 high-tech companies established this year. I think there were something like five. Probably there were two I didn't hear about. But getting out of the army, I was in the Navy actually, and establish a company, it looks crazy. It, it, it looks, there was no way to raise money because there were no VCs. By the way, if somebody would ask me this year, uh, how shall you raise money? I, I, I do remember that it seems to me so weird that you can raise money. How can you raise money? You can raise flowers, you can fl- raise oranges. My father used to tell me that money doesn't go on trees. You know, it's a very Polish name. Money doesn't go, don't spend the money. Money doesn't go on trees. You have to work for that. And that's the way we were established. We said, oh, we'll work. We do some uh, work uh, development for others. And at the nights, mm-hmm. we will develop our own products, Yeah, which we had, had no clue at the beginning that this will be used by, used by flash drive or other flash products. It's funny because today there's a playbook. If I want to start a company, yeah. it's, it's very clear. We sit with people like, guys, your life is so much easier. <laughs> I had to pave my way without any signs, without any any clue. And by the way, I made so many mistakes. And and I look at the way the company was established. There's no way that Dov Moran of today would invest in the Dov Moran of 1989. Seriously? Yeah, of course. I was stupid. <laughs> really. I, I'm talking seriously. I'm not joking. I had no clue about what I'm doing. I had no plan, you know, except of, hey, we are very good. Clearly, we'll do something which will be great. This was the business plan in general, yeah, if I summarize in a sentence. You sold them systems to SanDisk for what was an astronomical sum then? No, $1.6 billion. It used to look like a large number, you know, when I sold it almost 15 years ago to date. And okay, it's a deal. It's a nice deal. Yeah. So why wouldn't you have invested in Dov Moran of the 1990s? Because this, uh, the other, the, this Dov Moran 
had no clue about what he's doing. He's not playing. He's no business player. He doesn't have any... Uh, he even doesn't understand which market he's going to. It's different times. Means, yeah, of course, I, I think I wasn't so bad. But today when we look at the company, we want to see a great team. We want to see a, a product, a, a product or technology that is very unique, that is really, really great improvement compared to what exists in the market. We don't want to see 10% faster or 10% cheaper. has to be breakthrough. has to be uh, tough to, uh, or impossible or, or very difficult to duplicate. So not that, hey, we develop something, mm, the next day somebody comes with the same. It has to address a very, very large market, a large market that uh, would enable the company to reach a value of at least a billion dollars. Yeah. That's a combination. And clearly there are many, many more details of how do we evaluate, what do we do, all the rest. And of course today, if Dov Moran would leave the Navy today, he would uh, look for what he's going to do. He will look for ideas. He will uh, set up a team with his friends. He will uh, go and evaluate variety of uh, concepts and, and until he will find the one that he believes is the really amazing one that is outstanding, that can create a change. And he, he will check the market and see that the market, and then he would go to growth ventures, okay? So, of course, I, I'm, I, I believe, I see that I'm going to invest. I would invest in Dov Moran of today, not in Dov Moran of 1986. So speaking of Dov Moran, following the acquisition, and we'll talk about Modu as well, but you went from being an angel investor to setting up Grow Ventures. It took me some time to understand that uh, doing investments, you know, without having the right team, without evaluating deeply uh, the team, the technology, whatever is required, without due diligence, uh, doing it without... Getting to position that everybody comes to me, uh, doing a, a, it's not the right way. Uh, doing it with limited money, I mean, it's an issue. You, you invest some hundred thousand dollars, it's a joke. Yeah. Then the guys need very fast more money from where the money will come. You have to invest enough money in wherever you invest to make the company uh, get into a stage which is the right stage to raise more. Never put money which is not enough for getting to the next milestone last time to raise money. So after a few years that do it, that I've done it, that I said, okay, we need to establish a fund. And we need to establish a fund that would have enough money, that would be a, a, have the right people, which would have the abilities to support the companies after, war, after the investments and look at new companies. We need to make enough noise that everybody, every good deal in Israel would come to us. And this is very crucial. Let's say that you are the smartest guy in Israel and you've picked number, the number two smartest and the number three smartest. You are the three smartest guys in, and you are expert, both in technology. And you have an amazing experience in, in establishing companies and startups. What, what's required? You have enough money. Everything is great. But then no one knows about you. Would you create a good fund? No. No, because you will hit companies here and there, you know. You need to get the right publicity. You need the people who would know about you. And, and this, is, this is part of the effort of establishing a good venture capital fund. We did it, yeah. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I'm sitting here. I, I do hope that there are entrepreneurs. Maybe, probably there is no entrepreneur in this country which never heard about me, but not because I'm famous. Because, you know, that's a fact of life. I'm, I'm involved. But that's part of, uh, yeah, telling the story and making entrepreneurs say, hey, we want to go to this guy. We want to go to Grove. 
these are the right guys for us. You said focus is a key pillar of being able to build a successful venture. And, you know, probably as an angel investor, if you have a lot of small investment and you're just one person supporting them, you are unable to focus and add the most value to them. I fully agree. So yesterday I had a call with one of our LPs and said, oh, why did you took another partner? Now you are five. You have, if you take the management fees, instead of dividing by four or whatever, you'll get less. So it doesn't matter. First, we'll do better and we'll do our performance will we'll, we'll be great because he's an amazing guy, because we will have each one of us more time to dedicate to our companies. And yeah, this being a venture capital requires a lot of attention and time and effort into the companies you already have and into the new companies. Yeah, if you want to maximize the chances of succeeding, you have to be as involved as possible add as much value as you possibly can. And I'm sure that at times like this, it's even harder. That's right. Yeah. How did the change and the transition into the digital first and the whole uh, global pandemic affect you, your teams, your day-to-day? So, so in our case, it's, uh, it came very naturally because if you would ask me before the COVID-19 about uh, what's the future, what is the most thing which really is going to change the world, where the world is heading, I would tell you that I believe that the most important stuff, the biggest change that is going to happen uh, is going to be in uh, what relates to digital health. What relates, I mean, smart pharma and uh, RPM, remote patient monitoring, sensors, a lot of AI that actually, in a way, replace, not replace the physicians, but make the physicians have the capability to be much better. All the data, data gathering from all over the world regarding medicines, how they influence, who they are influencing, connection to DNA, computational biology. All of these things are going, this is the next thing. This is the biggest stuff. In the fund, about uh, one third, one quarter of our investments are where? Before the COVID-19 at the digital health. And uh, we put a lot of effort into that because we see that this is a game changer. And it's, it's a game changer in a way that it's actually merging electrical engineering, the, the software, the AI, together with knowledge on, on pharma, chemistry, sometimes biology, are going to be very interesting. It's, it's a, it sometimes sounds like science fiction or a lot of buzzwords, but the use cases are, are simple and daily. If I go to my doctor after not being there for six months or so, the guy or girl, they barely have time to even look up at me and ask me so, questions. <laughs> but I am monitored. You know, I monitor my sleep, my heart rate, my exercise, and this data sits with me, not with them. Why, like this ecosystem, we need to start closing the loop and inform these doctors and using the data that we're gathering on ourselves, using our devices to inform their decisions, to elevate the level of services we're receiving. I'm so happy to know that this is something you're passionate about. Until today, every year, there are thousands of people that come for a specific reason and are dying at the hospital from in- infection, biology infection. This is crazy. No one talks about it. No one handles it. You know, it's just we, we live with it. Yeah. And, you know, COVID-19, actually, of course, COVID-19 is very severe. But, you know, handling this stuff is even more severe. So more important. And, you know, that's part of our life. We even don't know about it. You don't know about it. 
Now, clearly, this has to go through a major change. We are going to see uh, much more, I, I talked about uh, remote patient monitoring, RPM, but even the whole issue of handling patients is going to be much more at homes rather than hospitals. The physician will have tools to monitor from far away, to, to talk with the, with the patient. I think that many, many changes are going to happen in the coming decade. Many of them, by the way, are because of the COVID-19, which actually would provide a huge push to all this issue of uh, health. It accelerated it. But when you start looking at startups and the websites and the decks, everyone is trying to change the world. They're changing the world uh, through advertising. They're changing the world through better shoes. The flash drive and other projects you were involved in changed the world in a, in a tangible, fundamental way. Is this part of your investment strategy? The answer is, uh, is absolutely yes. Uh, more than what you can think about. We do have in the company two concepts, two principles. And by the way, when you come to the company on the entrance, you come in. That's the first thing you are seeing. Concepts are people first, and people first by all means. And I can get into that and talk about that for uh, 10 minutes. And creating value. We don't invest in companies which wish to not create a true value for the world. For example, you mentioned advertisement. We will not invest in any company that does advertising. It's great. It makes money. If you want to make money and only money, maybe there are better funds than us. Yeah. But we are not going to invest in companies that what they will do a zero-sum game by getting money from one pocket to their pocket yeah, without creating anything except of money for themselves. We are very strict on that. No advertisement, no, uh, not anything which is a ILD, I'll be no fintech. We don't invest even in cyber. Cyber is important, of course. But, you know, there are, these, there are many parts of cyber. Some of them are not positive. Clearly, we are not there. Not in this side, not on the other side. Uh, because to do good at the other side, you have to, do, to be very good in the, in the first side. So, hey, others are doing it good enough. Creating value is a very important essence in my, our activity as a fund. My thinking as a person, a person that trying to understand why am I here, what am I doing? When people are thinking about sometimes value, value creation or creating value for the shareholders, the scope is sometimes very limited to no, seeing no, no. the stock go up. And we, you're we saying say, something different. We say people first. When we say people first, we mean people first is first of all among ourselves. Who are we? The people we take. It's a, it's talking about entrepreneurs. How it, we do we treat entrepreneurs? We, we answer everybody. Yeah, We try to give them value by adding, telling them why we are not investing, what's missing. What do we think? Really think about the product? It's of course the treating our own uh, companies. We work very close to our companies. We invest a lot in in the companies. In uh, and 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 of course the most important stuff when we invest in companies is people. Yeah, but then the creating value is again value for the companies. It is clearly value to the world. The idea that we are looking. It is as well value creating value for our LPs, our investors, but. We tell all the investors, guys, if I look at the orders, the, the, the right order, value for the world, value to our companies, value to you and us, yeah? And we are the last in this list. If the only issue is let's make more money, we just don't do it. 
I picked up something you just said about if I'm a, if I have a company or an idea and I come and I pitch you and and you reject it for whatever reason, you won't just say no, thank you, uh, wish you the best of luck. You'll say why you're not investing. We try to do it every time we get a presentation. Now we're getting a lot. You have to understand, we get in a year over a thousand uh, referrals. People are approaching us uh, and. You know, there are sometimes where things are so much immature and or totally out of our scope that we say, guys, it's not us. Thank you very, very much. Sometimes you say it's not us, but go to uh, X, Y, or Z because they are good in that. If it's cyber, these are the right funds for cyber. They are good funds. If it's fintech, they are good funds for fintech. This is not us. Yeah. But if it's something that relates to it, we do have knowledge and, and we can respond and we can help, we try to help. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to health care. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So I want to go back to something yep. uh, more abstract, but also more tangible, and that's identity. Having sold them systems, coming with that huge momentum, and then uh, founding or building model. When you were after such a big success, where did you uh, get the hunger to go back to square one? No, 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 no. You are totally, you don't understand. When I sold the company M Systems to Sandisk for $1.6 billion, my feeling was that I failed. I didn't want to sell the company. It's a very long story. We can have an hour about uh, why did I sell M-System. It's a fascinating story, by the way, that is not known. But I practically, I did not want to sell the company. I was approached many times before by Eli Harari, great guy, amazing guy, uh, great entrepreneur. I love, I love this person. I was approached by him to sell M-Systems, and I said no. Uh, many times. And so when I, I saw the company, you know, I had a nice portion in the company. I, I didn't feel, hey, great success. I said, hey, I have to continue my activity. And, and I went to Modu. And, but one of the mistakes I've done at Modu, it said, okay, okay, I bought M Systems to uh, offer billion dollar sales, which is quite rare in Israel. So I have to do it very, very fast at Modu. And we have to move very, very fast to success, revenues, and one of the lessons is that there are stages. You can't really skip stages. And uh, I tried to skip a few stages and, and I failed on that. But I, I, I didn't went to establish module because I felt, hey, it's a success. Uh, no, I went to the other, other side. I, I went to do module the way I meant to do module is because I felt that I uh, 
I felt it's at M systems. It's remarkable. It's it's like you're living everyone else's dream except your own in a way. Selling the company, the big exit, all the opportunities in the world, and you're saying I I actually went to my new vet feeling like I failed. I think that it a lot depends on how do you define success in life and what why do you, how do you define the mission and the existence of of yourself? Why why are you here? Are you here to just to pass this uh, 85, 95 years and that's it? Or are you here in order to live a remarkable something, add to the world, do something that makes this world a bit better? It's a scary question. I don't, I don't, I don't like that question on Thursday. You know, it's like, <laughs> actually, I, I know what's waiting for me. The, the emails, the calls, the errands, and I'm like, I, let's put purpose aside. It's hey, a purpose is very, it's a big question. I do agree. And by the way, most of the people in the world, what they, you know, they, they live to survive. They live, they, they live to survive. They live to make money. Many people, hey, let, I should make more money, more money, more. It's, If you go, if you walk like that, if you live your life like that, you never reach a target because there's no end to it. And you will all be, always will be disappointed because there always will be someone who makes more money than you. If you are the number one in the world out of 8 billion people, the next year somebody else will pass you and you'll be so frustrated. Yeah, you know, people who live their life where money is everything, they are actually... That's why they are miserable. I'm debating whether or not we want to go into Modu. It's a story that you've told so many times before um, I don't know if our listeners which is a global community of knowledge workers of young startups of entrepreneurs who are going through growth stages in their lives yep. uh, the people who find the show compelling are the ones you know first time manager first company transitioning when there's a lot of uncertainty so maybe let's go over the motor story just to make sure that those folks who are listening to us get the value out of that because that is one hell of a ride So take us back to what Modu was and yep. how the story unfolded. But by the way, Modu existed as a company only three and a half years. It was really a very extensive ride, but relatively short. <laughs> an expensive ride? Or <laughs> very short? expensive, that's right, yeah. How expensive? Well, the number officially is $120 million, but it's a, it's a bit of over $100 million because uh, there were $10 million that the investor never put the money in. There were $70 million we got from Qualcomm. Well, they gave us the money and the day after they took it back, yeah, because they took it back as license to their technology. So it was artificial investment. It's right. It was a crazy ride. Modu was, a, was the world's smallest mobile device, right? Yeah, it was the smallest phone ever created. We got rewards as the lightest, smallest phone. And this uh, was at the height of the trend of minimizing hardware. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so for, for 20 years, we were trying to get devices to be smaller and smaller and more sophisticated and more handheld. Until, until iPhone came to the world. Fuck. <laughs> By the way, if I say this board, you, you're cutting it or you'll leave it? If you want it in, it'll no. be in. If you want it out, it'll be I out. Don't, I have no problems. So, so you're working for three years on a company. You're building so technological yeah. breakthrough. You're hiring the right people. You raise the investment. You're like, this is the next big thing. Was yeah. the product already out when the iPhone was unveiled? Did you already... Yeah, the product was out. The day we sold products. We sold products, but, you know, not at the right quantities, not at the right volumes. But that's, a, that's, a, that's another side of the business problem. But the product was already out. Yep. And what year are we talking about? Uh, 2010. 2010. 2010. Yeah. And then Apple has their own uh, annual event and Steve Jobs goes on stage. This is, no, this is 2007 when they bought the product. The, the next, okay, we, we established a model at the, at the beginning of, the, of 2007. And uh, I seen it in July 2007, Steve Jobs came with the iPhone, the first iPhone. 
in the tools we saw the iPhone, I was I alerted in a way, but first iPhone wasn't so great. The communication was poor. The store of applications wasn't really yet the first product. Many bugs, many problems. People don't 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 remember it. But clearly, Apple did an amazing job, bought amazing product, but smartly they kept updating, upgrading, fixing, adding all the time. And that's why they are such a great company. Yeah. So we saw the first product and said, wow. Uh, I still remember I bought an iPhone 1 and, and after some time I said, okay, it's a nice phone, but I'm not so much, I worried about it. But it was very, very expensive. They were 600 bucks. We were talking about a phone that the selling price would be 100 bucks or even less. So I said, okay, it's a niche. It's a, such a large market. You know, in the world, they're selling. They're going to sell billion phones a year. They'll take a portion, a nice portion of the market. But we don't have to take a huge portion of the market. If we take 1% of the market, 1% out of the 1 billion, how much is it? You're asking million, the absolutely wrong person. 10, 10, million, 10 million units. For, there's, a, there's a business. For $100 a unit, that's a billion dollar business. It's great. I don't need more than 1%. Let me... Let them take whatever they want, and I'd be the one percent. By the way, it's wrong attitude. You have to you have to go and try to be number one if or two, and if you're not number one and two, the chances for you to succeed. They say I take a small portion. It's not a good strategy for making a product. So anyway, this was the concept. We moved on, but they became better, smarter, stronger, and all the phone market changed. Instead of trying to look for a small stuff, low cost, the market changed with functionality that could be data change replaced as we sold the market moves to device looks exactly like that piece of it's a black uh, it's this is not an iphone <laughs> no, 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 it's not. no it doesn't matter but you know screen touch uh, yeah, you can't yeah. think about something yeah. else which was contrary to what we our approach and yeah of course we changed of course we we understood that the market going is going there variety of reasons uh that we, we had to continue with Model 1. That's our first one, which was not a touch device, which dragged a lot of money and energy. It's a long I won't go into the whole story. Then we, when we changed to touch and had understood that we have to use Android as the operating system, it was too late. Too late in a way that actually we did not have enough resources. To playing catch up with less money. So yeah. when, when you were pitching module, what was the return expected for investors? How long after launching the product you expected? I, I thought, I believe that we will go to a billion dollar company, you know, uh, clearly. A billion dollar sales, yeah. And I wanted to go there get it very, very fast. How course. fast? You know, it was after M Systems. I saw that I have the formula for success. Of course, I didn't have the formula. No one has a formula, yeah. And how long after the iPhones unveiling until you had to close module and realize, guys, we lost? Modu was closed three and a half years after it was established in a, in a very, very strange way. What happened to us, uh, we tried to raise money in 2008. Market was in crash. You can't really raise money. Remember that. I went to a roadshow uh, a week after Lehman Brothers uh, were terminated. And it was the most weird, strange uh, situation. You went, I went to meetings. I went to them, to their the offices. People didn't show off. Well, I flew to see them, yeah. And there was nothing there. And then coincidentally, I got uh, to an investor in New York that actually made his first million dollar out of investing at M Systems. It's, it's a very, very unique story. And a great guy, yeah. 
And he met me coincidentally and said, I, I, I would like to invest. I'll invest. And he invested, but he's not an invest, a professional investor. And somehow, due to his investment, we were dragged to complete the, the Model 1 very costly, very problematic. I won't go into the, all the details. But when we uh, understood that we need to do Android, and, and we were in the process of actually developing an Android phone, we needed money for that. And uh, we calculated the money required. And by the way, the money is not just developing a phone. It's a marketing and business development and sales offices. It's a costly activity if you want to do it really large. And we had the ideas which were not just a regular Android phone, but something which has peripherals around it, which until now I think that they are missing in the market. Funny as it is. So the idea was, uh, was raising money. We need to raise, we calculate $20 million. Now, what happened, we tried, to, we said we, to raise this money, we need to lower our valuation. But the first investor, the one I told you about, he had uh, something called Ratchet. Ratchet is if you lower the valuation, you have to compensate him for that. And, and if you do it, then you actually raise the other investors. And listen, it wasn't my, my share because they told me, listen, you do it, we'll give you back your share by options. So what's the problem? But I didn't feel that this is right for my other investors. How do you overcome it? You go to a public offering. If you go to public offering, all this uh, compensation ratchet disappear. Okay. We'll do a public offering. Where can we do a public offering? In Israel. We did, we went to do a public offering in Israel. And again, timing, timing is, you know, timing is the most important stuff. And somehow timing issue, we went in a very bad time. So after trying to raise the money, went to a meeting with the guys, the bankers that there were five bankers here. We tried to raise $20 million here for that. I remember the meeting uh, with them after the roadshow in Israel, talking with all the potential investors. And they said, listen, we don't, we don't succeed to raise for you $20 million. We can raise only 10, 12. Take this money and you'll be, you'll be fine. I said, no, 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 guys, you don't understand. With 20, I'll take the money, but I will fail again. And I don't want to fail. I, I need 20. So they said, oh, come on, though. take the 10 or whatever. Six months from now, We'll make another round or we'll do convertibles for you. Timing will be better. You'll be fine. I said, can you guarantee me that I can go to the market six months from now to waste the, the extra $10 million? I said, of course, we can guarantee it. The meaning of that, that, if I take money, this is the money from Mrs. Cohen from Hadera. This is pension money. And taking money from uh, Mrs. Mrs. Cohen from Hadera, there is a small city, you know. That's a problem. When I take money from a VC or from SoftBank or from Qualcomm or from a very, very wealthy guy, that for him, $10 million is, you know, hmm, okay, let's breakfast, yeah. One day, uh, it's like you from, skip a breakfast, yeah. Uh, so if, if we do, that's okay. It means it's not okay, but it's, it's acceptable. It's part of the game. I will live good. I'm living good with that, that fact. Means I, I, I'm not happy. I'm very sad for that. I, I, I told my investors I'll do anything I can to get you back this money that you lost. But it's not like taking money from Mrs. Cohen from Hadera. And I don't want to waste the money of Mrs. Cohen from Hadera. So I said, guys, if we don't have the 20, I'll rather 
terminate uh, the company. And I do remember the looks. They say, oh, this guy, you know, he's just saying that he wants to make us make, make a commitment. We can give him commitment, but he will come back to us tomorrow and say, that's okay. We close the deal. We take the 12th. Okay. I called them the day after and I said, guys, I terminated the company. No, no more. Closed. I closed the company. How was it? Very, very painful. I didn't sleep nights. I, uh, you know, that's a, you know, that's part of life. So we're going through two uh, huge milestones so far. When did you feel successful? Not when was it successful in other standards. When did you feel successful, fulfilled, accomplished? Almost every day. What do you mean? I, I, I go to work. I'm going to work. I'm going to my office. I like the, I love the office. I like it. I love the people. I, I need to touch with the people. And, and you know, we invest in amazing companies. And by the way, now it's, we have 16 companies in our portfolio. And not that every day they have success. And, and clearly some of them will fail. By the way, until now, we terminated only one company in five, in almost five years of activity. But this will come. I know that this will come eventually. There's no model that, hey, all the companies you invest in are all success. But, You know, I work very close to the CEOs and I live the life. I, I, I'm part of not one deal, but many, not, not one team, but many teams. And there are lots of amazing things that are happening. Every week there is an achievement here, achievement in the other company. Now the chip arrived. Hey, that's the first picture. This is, uh, we, we are moving ahead toward agreement with uh, this company. Uh, we raised this money. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm very, very happy with what I'm doing every day. It's noticeable, and, and it was noticeable even in our engagement uh, towards this talk today. We, we reached out to a lot of people, and, and one of the most enthusiastic ones were you guys. Like the, the level of engagement you still have with the market and, and the field and the trenches is amazing. I have to disappoint you. Not, not because of you. We are enthusiastic about anything we are doing. I know, I know. And it, it's part of the exciting thing that, uh, that it's very high level, the conversation, the engagement, and something that's... Uh, I respect a lot. Now, I want to be respectful to your time as well. And um, so I'll move on to a round of quickfire uh, questions. We would love to hear the backstory for all of them, but just to make sure that we cover at least, at least the tip of the iceberg with some of them. When the Discon key was released and the stock for, uh, for, um, for the company was still not a success, how did you persevere throughout those initial stages where the market was still skeptic and hesitant in buying into the discount key idea I saw that we are heading toward the success I believed in the success I talked with people I talked with investors I talked with the market about the potential by the way do remember at the end of 2001 there was a, a, a reporter calling me while I was driving by the way I learned the lesson today from that time until today I never allowed to uh, To uh, have a reporter talking to me while I'm driving because <laughs> I really need to focus in driving and not with what I'm saying and and the guy was annoying like uh dove how come your stock uh, failed or did go, didn't go up and uh, and I said listen I believe in my company I truly believe that in five years from today we will reach a billion dollar revenues and five years after that we reach a one billion dollar revenue So yeah. it's internal conviction. Uh, yeah, there was internal conviction. Yeah. Now, a few uh, non-technological, super important technological thing, which is women in tech. You are one of the biggest advocates 
for gender equality yep. in general, but specifically in tech. What is what prevents us from reaching that point of equality, and what should companies do to improve on that? So f- first of all, no doubt that uh, women think differently, much less ego. You know, we we male are trying to be the best and show how great we are. It's full of shit, yeah. And they don't have it, which is a huge advantage over us. On the other side, the problem, the point is that since they are not like that, they are not rushing to run companies and and they truly uh, work very hard to create some balance between family life and, and work, which we are not doing that. I, I do admit this is one of my faults in life. I probably, I put much more time into the work and office and activities and inventions on resident family, although I have amazing, amazing kids, yeah. I think that you need to understand it and you need to take it into account and you need to have people in the team. You know, I just saw today or yesterday that the new committee of the government to deal with the corona, 10 male, no women. Fuck them. It's crazy. They need somebody there to have this sort of thinking, which is so much egoless, to really understand and ask the right question and say, Guys, let's stop here. This is this may lead us to this disaster. Let's risk maybe. And and yeah, we miss it in our countries. You look by the way at the countries that handled the COVID nineteen correctly. These were countries led by women. We're talking about uh, Northern Europe, Germany. You're talking about New Zealand. New Zealand, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, we need more women. Another sector of uh, of the Israel, eight million people or so. It's a limited workforce, nine, nine so we need nine million people. So we need to kind of rally all of the people who can and are willing to do work. And one topic I want to ask you about is ageism in tech. It feels sometimes like entrepreneurship is a young people's game, and yet the experience and the knowledge and the connections and the availability among people who have passed 40, 45, 50 is great. How do you feel we're doing as a country, and what do we need to do to improve so first of all, I'm dealing with uh, with deep tech, not with uh, startups, which is different. It's not the same. You say to do ABB or uh, Facebook, yeah, you need to be probably 25 years old. To do a semiconductor, you know, the older you get more experience, you do well. Uh, so there's no there's no age is not a factor practically. That's if we don't look at how old is the entrepreneur. Means of course some of them they can be 40 and old. They can be 60 and young, yeah. I'm 65, by the way. So, you know, it's a, it's an ageless uh, activity. And when I, I, I know some of my, my, you know, guys who learned with me, went with me to the Army, Navy, and some of them, yeah, some of them are old. I do admit that they give up. Don't give up. That's what I tell them. And by the way, if it's not high-tech, go and become a teacher. This would be amazing for the education system to take in elderly people which are more experienced and they have their authority coming from the age out of it and become a teacher, great teachers. Uh, and of course, there's no meaning. It's the, the age of 67, retirement age, totally meaningless. I know, I know a guy which is over 90 that is active, inventing, running, pushing, as he is 25. You worked with your father for until he was uh, much older. Yeah, my father uh, worked at uh, actually M Systems, and uh, when I saw the company to send it, 
I went to Modu. He left, he stayed at, uh, at Sandis actually, and he died at the age of 90. Unfortunately, too young here, but that's, uh, but he walked until his last day. And uh, he walked, he died in the hospital. He was in the hospitalized, by the way, not for infection, yeah, fortunately, but uh, he went for uh, being uh, interrogated, uh, you know, tested for and analyzed for something he had. And the most, the most, his real happiness, I do remember his face when the head of the department is coming to tell him, Mr. Mintz, I was Mintz before I converted to Moan uh, Army, you know, years ago. <laughs> uh, he said, she said, Mr. Mintz, uh, you are okay, you are fine, you can go Sunday back to work. And he was so happy, age of 90, that he can go back to work. Uh, and he died two hours later. Yeah, that's reality. I'm going to die at the office as well, by the way. <laughs> they have to drag me out of the office. You said earlier that entrepreneurship is about trying to get people around a certain cause, around a certain idea, rally the resources and, and follow a certain path. Um, and now we're seeing that there's so much diversity and we need to operate with so many different people who are very different than us, age-wise, gender-wise, perspective-wise, opinion-wise. Yep. Your personal life, you have your father of four and you are a secular person and yet your wife is religious, right? Yeah. How do you balance those two worldviews in the same household? <laughs> Complicated issue. <laughs> <laughs> it's never easy, but going up in Israel Nothing and speaking... Nothing is simple. Nothing is simple. I don't have any formula to say, hey, you have to live your life X, Y, or Z. There are others that will do it much better. But one thing which I have to mention in regardless, regarding this issue of uh, diversity, don't forget that in Israel, in, in this time, million people, there are Arabs, there are ultra-Orthodox. We need to handle them as well. We need to make Arabs become part of the, of the working force, of the high-tech. We need to encourage the ultra-Orthodox smart guys to study more than the Bible and Gemara, actually Gemara, not Bible, practically join and, and be part of the effort to bring really good stuff to the world that will make this world better. We're nearly at the end of our time. So the last question I want to ask yeah. you is about some of, the, some of the trends I'm noticing is you're looking for the places where you can have the biggest impact, be it a teacher that teaches hundreds of uh, kids or students a year or find the right technology that transforms a certain industry or a market and also is there a connection between how you tell and write stories and the way you think about companies does a company need to have a story in order to fit into a certain trend or point in time clearly every company needs to have a story of course uh, every person needs to have a story a real story, not uh, not invented story. Yeah, there are guys which are inventing. You know, I won't, we won't go into names. Yeah, uh, but uh, clearly, yeah, we need to have uh, stories. Uh, why do I tell a story? I'm coming here to tell a story because you try. You can influence by stories. Stories, people listen. I do hope that people will see it and people say, "Hey, I can do it as well." If this stupid guy can could do it, of course I can do it. And they are very very correct. Uh, I hope that people would understand that. You know, going to high-tech, going to entrepreneurship is not an easy pass. It's a tough pass. They should ask themselves, are they ready to do it? Uh, I wrote a book, yeah, you hold it there. Uh, $100. Dollars. Yeah, let me, let me show it. Yeah, $100. Dollars. Uh, buy the book. I'm supposed to get uh, two shekels for each one of the books, but they didn't, never paid me. They said, you're rich anyway. Why do you need this money? We are poor. 
So no no I'm joking. The Dov Eichenbaum is the he's the editor. He will he will hate me if I. <laughs> so anyway, the the I wrote a book. Now it's an effort to write a book, and I you don't make money by writing books like that. But if it was bestseller in Israel, it, not in the you know in the professional books, still you don't make make any money. I, I this translation of the book to Korean to uh, Chinese, uh, of course English. I don't really expect any money coming to me out of uh, of the this book, but I do expect I do hope that people will read the book and maybe understand something, maybe it will open their mind, maybe it will give them some power, some co encouragement when they go into this very long, difficult path of entrepreneurship. Dov, you said you celebrated your sixty fifth birthday yesterday. And there's many more years of doing in your life. What do you wish yourself for the next years? Ah, I would, do, I would say another 65 years, but this will be too extreme. So only, only 55. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so, so much for coming on to the show. Is there anything we haven't covered that you feel is mandatory to understanding you and your work? The problem you covered more than what I expected. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> It's been our absolute pleasure. Thank you and your team for allowing us these two hours together. We can't thank you enough. We appreciate everything you've done for the local ecosystem and the people you work with. And I hope that your values will continue to proliferate throughout our little country here. Thank you so, so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com/pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.